Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Kevin Queen from Nashville, lead pastor of Crosspoint. Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast. Um, we are excited to have you. Um, I have sort of an off-the-wall question to start. I know you're an avid runner. Uh, my wife and I visited Nashville this summer, and those little Uber scooters all over the place, have you ever had to outrun one of those things? Man, I have, uh, I have, we have to run to those things because there's a little competition to try to get to it. I mean, a lot of people want to ride those things. I, I got I to gotta make a confession, though. I'm not, I'm not an avid runner anymore. Um, I oh. ran a marathon. That was like, <laughs> I used to pull my steps, man. I'm like, I, I, t- I, told, I told somebody, I was like, I ran two marathons in one day. I ran my first one and my last one. You know, I'm like, that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we, uh, we, we love, like it taps into an inner kid in me riding on those scooters through town. So, uh, so that's one of the best things of being downtown is getting to ride those we, things. We, I don't know if you were down there. Rob was down yeah. there during the draft. Did you run into any of those scooters? The, I don't know. Were you at the draft, the NFL draft? We were, we were around, but I didn't get to. It, it was crazy down there, man. It was, it was like playing Frogger. Remember the old school game Frogger with those little scooters everywhere? Because those people were crazy on those scooters. It was, it was a riot. Yeah. So I'm lucky I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Yeah, <laughs> Me too. Me too. Me too. Well, you're from Georgia, so you're not originally from Nashville. Um, and you were at 12 Stones Church for a long time. How did you get from 12 Stones to Crosspoint? Man, that's a that's a great that's a great question. We uh, so my wife and I are originally from uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is Gwinnett mm-hmm. County, and uh, we've both been there for forty years. Um, I was on staff at Twelve Stone for fourteen years, and man, I thought, um, gosh, I thought we'd be there um, until until we died. All of our family's like an eight mile radius, and uh, it's crazy. I uh, I have a sister in law though that lives in East Nashville. She's married to a rocker, and he's you know he's a band, and so. Um, I knew that they weren't in church at the time. And, uh, and I knew that cross point needed a pastor. And so I just prayed like when all of us, maybe when we, you know, we heard that cross point was in transition, you know, we knew they needed a pastor. So we just, I just prayed that cross point would find a pastor, you know, because I knew that if they were going to go to a church, it'd be a church a lot like cross point. And so, uh, so just pray for that. Really didn't think much more about it until January of 2017. And this is where it gets a little bit crazy. So my, uh, I had like this little, uh, like this little closet down in my basement that I turned into like a prayer closet. Like I painted the, painted the wall with like that, um, what do you got? Like the dry erase, you know, I'm already yeah. writing prayers up on that. It's like a beautiful mind, you know, and I'm writing all these, all these prayers. And, um, and that was just kind of my spot every day that I go and meet with the Lord. Cause I found it helpful. And Dan Ryland at 12 stone told me this, and this is, he said, Kevin, and when I really struggle, like getting consistency in my prayer life, he said, pick a time, pick a place and have a plan. And I was like, man, that for me, I, for a lot of ministry, I struggled with consistency in prayer and that just those three things. So picking that place and picking that time in the morning, just putting on my calendar, I just go meet with God. And it was often that I felt like what God was doing is that he would bring cross point to mind. Like, I want you to go cross point. And that, um, that for me, because I loved where I was at and I loved, loved what I was doing. It was, it was, a, it was a wrestling match with God. I mean, I was just like, I, I don't know. I really didn't know much about Crosspoint. I'd never been to Crosspoint. And, um, and so I just began to uh, pray things like, God, I'm not going to knock on that door. Like, if you want me to go up there, you're going to have to send them to come knock on my door. Um, I pray things like, uh, I don't know if I have what it takes, but mm-hmm. God, if you think I have what it takes, then have them come get me. 
And my dad, this is, this is crazy. My dad sent me, it's like 3.30 in the morning one morning. He sent me this text to go look about like this Columbia Bar River crossing. It's out at the Columbia River out in, um, out in Oregon. And where the Columbia River goes into the ocean, it's like the most tumultuous crossing. And they helicopter pilots down. You like pay to have a pilot come and navigate your boat across the crossing because wow. it's, it's crazy because people don't know how to do it. And I felt like my dad sent that to me. I read it that morning. I was like, that's what this is about. God's about to put me in a place. And the problem is I've never done, I've never done it before. So <laughs> I never really pastor. So I feel like, oh, this is crazy. And so I, I wrestled with God on that. And, I, and I've got Evernote journals, like of just my prayers and my wrestling for, for two and a half months. Mm. So we got into, we were in March. And at some point I was like, you know what? I need to tell my wife Rhea about this. Like this, like I can't hold this from her, you know, any longer what I feel like God's saying. I hadn't told anybody else. And so I told Ray, and you know, she wasn't like, um, she wasn't shocked. She didn't, she didn't fight it. She was just like, well, let's just see, let's see what the Lord does and we'll pray together on it. So we started praying together on it and it wasn't, but a, about a week later, I get a text from a guy named Zach who, uh, who I knew from 12 stone, who was a songwriter in Nashville. And he said, Hey, I know some people at cross point and they want to talk with you about the lead pastor position. Wow. Wow. And what, here's uh, here's a crazy thing. Okay. So that happened. That was March 19th on March 17th. Um, I had a clip from a teaching that I did at 12 stone that kind of went up online. Like, and it was a clip I was talking about experience. I had at Chipotle and it kind of on Facebook kind of some people it had some traffic and I prayed a prayer. I wrote it in my journal. I said, God, if you want to, um, you can take that clip, have them see it and ask me to come and speak. I'm not thinking, you know, I didn't know, like, yeah. I didn't know what God would, I just prayed that through that up. Two days later, they reach out and I find out that, um, that that's how they, they saw that clip on Facebook and reached that's out. Wild. So like all this crazy swirl of just like supernatural, you know, those moments where I feel like God's given like insider information and all those things are happening. And I think all that had to happen because like, I think with just my, my own insecurities, like I needed, you know, I needed to know that God was moving, that this was something that God was opening up and God was doing. I love that story. And I think, you know, some of the, the recent conversations I've been having with students here, you know, because they're very curious about vision. And I think this piece is so critical because I, I, what I hear you saying, and, I, and I'm not, you can disagree, which is okay, um, is that the burden became, came before the vision. That in that time of prayer, in that time of seeking God and asking questions, he birthed something in your heart long before you're able to cast something to a broader public. And so, man, I love what you're saying there. And so in that process of, of allowing God to put that burden on your heart, I mean, what, what is that journey like as God unfolds that burden, as he, as he lays it heavier? I mean, what are some things that you struggle with as you, as you went through that? Yeah, so I think, um, I think when I look back and I go with the, with the burden, and even I would even put the burden and vision, like those two things kind of married, married together. Um, he began to speak vision before I even knew details of content. Like, right. like I think about when I think about Nehemiah, you know, and he's, he's got this burden for the city and he hears that the walls are down. Like there's just, there's months of praying before he goes to the King, you know? And I think, I think, I think something I did earlier is I would pray about something. I would get a leading and then I would rush in. I go, okay, I got to make stuff happen. Yeah. Yeah. But I think 
we, um, we can, you know, we hear the phrase, we can get out in front of God. Right. And I'm like, I think sometimes God wants us to, to see him prepare the way so that we can have, just have confidence. Like, I think that's the confidence that, that he is moving. And there is just, I'll tell you the interview process. They asked me to come up and interview in Chattanooga. And I went up there and had that first conversation with him. And I had already had, and I felt like I was saying, you can't tell them about what I've told you. So like, mm. I couldn't play the God card. Like, oh, it's good you guys called me. For months, the Lord has been speaking. That doesn't go well. Yeah. And so, so I'm going up there and I'm sitting in those meetings, but I already know what God's revealed to me. And they asked me this question. They, it was just a tough issue. They were like, how would you handle this? And uh, I remember I said, I don't know. And they all kind of looked like crickets. And I'm like, I don't know. But I said, I know we have a really sharp team. And I know there's some great leaders here. And we get around the table and we figure it out. And I think, you know what, if I hadn't had those conversations and those months of processing with God, I would have tried to come up with a great answer that yeah. impressed them. But because I already had what God was impressing on me, I didn't have to impress them. I could just rest, you know, and, and be authentic and be sincere and then it even carries over once the lord does the thing and gets you in the place every week is not a tryout you know yeah it's not i'm trying to impress it's not american idol like you know i'm trying to trying to stay on um it's just going man i know that my boots are planted where he wants me on the planet and uh, yeah just a just a gift but it, the gift has a price tag of those days and weeks and months of travailing right and uh, yeah. so has anything like that ever happened before that sort of prayer process that you've had to go through to get to another place with God? Or was this like the first time that the vision and all this sort of supernatural alignment seemed to take place? I mean, I know you love to pray, but this is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Major shifts in my life. It tends to be kind of the pattern. So, um, I, I worked at um, a church, Hebrew Baptist Church in Decula, where I grew up. I became, I became the high school pastor, and I've been there about two years, and I felt like the Lord was was changing things. I didn't know what the transition was, so I so I prayed a prayer. I said, God, would you change me or change where I'm at? And Ree was pregnant with Raleigh, our first kid, and I felt like God was saying, I want you to fast and pray. Um, pray that God would change you, change where we're at. Pray that God would prepare you to be a daddy and to be a daddy and a husband. And so, um, so I started praying those prayers and, uh, and I felt like he was saying, I want you to fast and pray for 40 days. And I was not a good faster before this. Like, I don't even know if that's a word, but like, I, like I was, <laughs> it is now. You made it up. Hey. and I'm like, man, I go get a cheeseburger. You know I mean? This was not, it was not my favorite spiritual discipline. And, uh, and so I was, uh, I started this fast and I just found like super, like supernatural, like grace, right. To, to stay in this and to fast and pray. And uh, I got in day uh, 30 of that fast and I was at, um, I was at Starbucks and I meet Kevin Myers, who's a senior pastor at, uh, at 12 Stone. And, uh, and we were talking and he said, uh, we just started talking. He said, Hey, we're looking for a high school pastor. Would you be interested? I said, I'm not interested. I said, I'm going to be a church planner. And uh, cause I was going to go do the US two with North American mission board. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the plan. And he said, well, if you are interested, you should talk to Dan Ryland. And the day before I had been listening to a tape from John, you remember like the enjoy tape club, you know what a tape oh, is. Yeah, right? yeah. So I listened to the uh, tape from John Maxwell and the whole tape, he's talking about how to be a better second leader. 
which I'm saying God changed me or changed where I'm at. So I'm thinking if he doesn't change where I'm at, I got to be a better second leader. Well, the whole tape, Max was talking about Dan Ryland and Kevin Myers just said, you need to talk to Dan Ryland. So I'm like, it's like, I've just heard that name for the first time yesterday. So I sit down, I set up a time with Dan. I called Dan. So I think we're supposed to meet. Kevin gives me his number. And Dan goes, uh, where you want to meet? I'm like, let's meet at Starbucks. I know the Lord's moving there, you know. And so, <laughs> we, uh, we no endorsements here. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and Dan goes, hey, do you have a resume? And I give him a resume. He said, do you have a picture of your family? And this was before, like, cell phones, you know, like a smartphone. So I give, him, I give him an actual picture. He looks at it. He goes, you've lost some weight. And I'm like, hey, he goes, are you dieting? And I said, no. He said, are you fasting? And I said, yeah, because I was thinking like in that moment, like Jesus said, don't tell people, but this is Dan Ryland. Like, <laughs> can't lie to Dan Ryland. And so I was like, yeah, he said, well, what are you, what are you fasting about? And I said, well, I'm asking God to change me or change where I'm at. I kind of told him, he said, Kevin, what are the dates of your fast? I said, September 1 to October 10th. He said, Kevin, the elders and pastors of our church are fasting and praying for, from September 1 to October 10th for a new high school pastor. And I was like, what? And then I went, so like these major transitions in my life have all gone back to, to, to prayer. And then there's kind of been a swirl of supernatural activity, but you know, what's also taken the swirl of supernatural activity is to stay in one place for 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. when it's hard and when you, you have ambition and you have dream and you have the, you want to go chase the thing and you want to go, do that and uh, and just to just be able to rest there has taken a lot of it took a lot of prayer and uh as well so yeah that's an interesting point you bring up and i think you know certainly in our generation and uh, you know we're not we're in this for for our generation we're not here to like try to slam our generation but certainly conversations of commitment come up often when we talk about gen z or millennials um, and I, you know, I'm of the opinion, you know, I was at Saddleback church for several years and, you know, Rick would often say, it's not about a commitment. It's about giving them more to commit to. And how do we increase levels, levels of commitment in a generation that doesn't seem to, to on the outside want it? I mean, so you say you're at a place for 14 years, which is really difficult. And I think it's one of the key missing ingredients um, is longevity for for this generation so how do we encourage them in that what are some things that you learned in that journey yeah you know I, I think Kevin Myers incredible leader Dan Ryland incredible leader I got to, I got to sit under phenomenal leadership and I think um, one thing that made it that made it difficult to leave is receiving the leadership development and the, I mean Dan Ryland would have us over to his house once a month there's some a group of leaders to talk through leadership friends. I mean, he just opened up his home, opened up his life for that kind of coaching. And I'm going, man, who else gets this? You know, there was, and it was something that he had that he was that, that transfer of leadership, wisdom, care, heart, you know, Kevin Myers would lead a prayer meeting every, every Saturday night. And just, um, and, and you get up close and you get to hear his heart intercession, the way he prays for the city. Like, I think, I think, um, senior leaders opening up their homes and opening mm. up their lives and opening up their hearts give access that just makes it more than a uh, more than a job and more than a position but 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 a partnership right no matter where we are on the org chart i think that's that made a huge difference for me yeah awesome. I, I know you had pretty dramatic experience at the university of georgia you're a you're a bulldog through and through 
um, with the Wesley Foundation. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Did you go to Georgia with the expecting to go into ministry, or what was the plan when you went there? I went to Georgia to try to find, uh, to try to chase down my wife. Like that's where she was. She was going to school. Uh, we met in eighth grade at the movie theaters, and uh, and she wasn't smitten by me then. So I had to work really, really hard. She was, Man, I, I had on a uh, Public Enemy T-shirt with like guess overalls, one strap down, Nike Air Force Ones. Like it's cool now. Do you, Do you have those still? Like that's vintage. You can make a ton of money. Yeah, you could sell that. <laughs> those anymore my sneaker game is not as strong as it was in eighth grade <laughs> so, I, uh, so we met in eighth grade and we just became great friends in high school she was at the university of georgia i went to i ended up going to a uh, community college then i went to tacoa falls college and um got i didn't get asked to leave but um you know i it found other educational pursuits <laughs> and um great you know yeah uh, so staying on track like I, my, my girlfriend at the time, she was at UGA and she was a part of the Wesley Foundation. So I would drive from Tacoa to Athens on Wednesday nights. And, um, and I saw the way that God was moving. And yes, I wanted to go to Georgia. And yes, I wanted to be closer to her, but I wanted to be where God was moving like that. And so that, that became this gravitational pull. And there was a leader there named Tom Tanner who um, led the Wesley Foundation. Mm. The story is it went from about, um, a hundred students down to about 20 students and then just exploded and, uh, and experienced a move of God. Like I've, I've never seen in my life. And, uh, um, I mean, just to kind of describe what was going on, like, I mean, 24 seven prayer before, you know, I knew that that was a thing or that that could, happen. I mean, the Moravia, I didn't know about the Moravians, but like that was, you know, there was 24 seven prayer happening, students going downtown, and just in pairs and praying for people, praying for healing, praying for salvation, um, praying um, that strip clubs would close down. And some of the strip clubs that were down there, the students were praying to have closed down. You know, one of them became a church. I mean, like, so you can go to Athens and still see just like over 400 students who were a part of this ministry uh, went into uh, went into full-time vocational ministry over 400 you know so it's just and now the ministries you know over a thousand that now the prayer meeting before the meeting on wednesday nights is you know the prayer meeting is like 600 strong and uh and so I mean, it's just there's still just a a strong move of god there but getting to experience that and the closest like i can describe it there was this show lost did you guys ever see the show lost yeah i mean I got now, lost about halfway through so okay. Well, at the end, I don't mean to spoil it for you, but you had your chance to see it. But like <laughs> at the end, uh, Jack wants to get back on the island. Like he is driven crazy with this desire to get back to that island. He grows a beard. No offense, uh, Jeff. But like he, he, grows, he grows a beard and like he's just, he's just distraught with like, man, I want what I once had. And it's just ruined him. And after I left that, I realized that's not what ministry is in every environment. And it just it ruined me for ministry, right? Where I'm like, man, I want to be a part of that. Like at some point again in my life, I want to experience ministry, the Holy Spirit unleashed, the Father exalted, Jesus glorified, and the Holy Spirit just that kind of move. Um, and so that, um, I tried to grow out a beard, but it, it didn't work for me. I <laughs> have that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah man uh that's a great story i love i love this idea of revival on on college campuses 
you know, and part of the reason why I came here in this role just last year was because of that sense and that need, I think, even on a Christian campus to really experience revival. And Jeff and I have talked about this at length at length since I got here. I mean, and so uh, part of this whole podcast conversation is about creating that atmosphere and that environment where revival can happen because we, we generally want to see it here. And so um, I know you're kind of a revival nerd. You like you love to study revivals and stuff like that. So in a Christian higher education, Christian university context, in your mind, what are some things that we need to be paying attention to to really see God bring forth that revival even on a Christian campus? Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's helpful for us to go back and study history just to have something that we can begin to wrap our minds around. I think that's just one of the gifts of of the story and the thread of what God's done throughout, you know, throughout history, throughout, you know, since Pentecost, throughout our nation, um, throughout the world, even now. But I think for us to go back and look, and so I just say, man, okay, what did it look like when God did, when he did it at Asbury? Like, what did it look like, you know, um, what is, was 30 years ago when, when there were a group of students in a chapel service who somebody got up and, and confessed sin? And then just was broken and something when God wants to enter a space, when he wants to enter a room, he, he looks for a broken person. Mm-hmm. Like that's what, when God wants to move, he's, he's looking yeah. for a person that is broken, that's broken over their sin. That's broken over the condition of the campus. That's broken over, like God's looking for broken people. And so when we look through history and we go, okay, every time that God is moving, you, know, you think about what God did in Wales and you go, man, Evan Roberts, this 26-year-old coal miner who, you know, knew the scriptures and was just, been me, been me, you know, praying this prayer. But at the same time, you got this 14-year-old, Flory Evans, who when a pastor stands up and says, hey, would anybody give a testimony? And she gets up, and she's only been a Christian for a couple of weeks, and she says, I don't know about anybody else, but I do love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. And she's just weeping. And they said, in that moment, something shifted in the room, you know? So he... God looked for a Flory Evans, a 14-year-old girl who had two weeks of Christianity under her belt. And then he just, he broke in. So I think for us to read through history and see those and then go, okay, God, God, break me, you know. And then we take it, we take it personally, um, begin to, begin to, that confession of sin that, um, that and, and always, and always in the streams, it's in, it's in prayer and worship and confession. You know, I think those are three things that we're like, man, we want, we want the product, but but those are uh, those are generally the avenues that he that he moves uh, moves with. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's good. So, Kevin, how have you brought that heart for revival to Cross Point and and especially Nashville, a very unique city, lots of art, lots of industry, a growing community. Um, I think somebody once told me a hundred people a day moved to Nashville. How have you brought? that passion for revival to a city that really seems to need it. Yeah. Um, I haven't done it alone. So I got here and, uh, man, I mean, there was a, there was a great group of people, but it was kind of an, it was a new, a newer conversation for the church, newer conversation for, for leadership. I didn't know what to do, man. I've never been a lead pastor before. And so, um, so they, the, the staff's looking at me like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. We're going to pray. And so every Tuesday at 11, we started praying from 11 to 12. 
because all of the, uh, we are multi-site church and all the campuses were together. And I'm telling you the first week we got together and prayed like something just shifted and that God, he, he showed up in that prayer time. And I think that prayer time was um, kind of a chiropractic, like for the staff, you know, it, it helped bring healing for us as a, as a staff and, uh, and as the staff healed church healing and people started coming in and that prayer time began to grow and people from outside the church started coming to the prayer time. And that, that, that one hour on Tuesday, 11 to 12 is my favorite hour of the week. Um, I love, I love what God does in that time. I love that time as much as anything else that, that I get to do. Um, so that's one thing. And then God, uh, I was about six months here and I met a guy named Dave Clayton, who's a pastor of ethos church and the church is just reaching, reaching college students. Um, he's a phenomenal leader. Um, they're multi-site, uh, multi-site church. They don't own a building. They're in all rented facilities, um, church of thousands. And, uh, and he's just, he's got an apostolic gift, vision for the, for the city too. But I didn't know that. I'm just meeting with him. He comes to my office. We were supposed to meet at a coffee house. My car was in the shop. And so he came to the office and he starts looking at my bookshelf and he sees all these books on revival. And, uh, he goes, we have the same books. <laughs> and if we would have met at the at the coffee shop i don't know that we would have made that connection right but things shifted and we our conversation went from tell me about your family to man here's what we believe the lord's going to do in nashville and um and so then we started we started getting pastors together because when you talk about revival either people's eyes glaze over mm-hmm. or their eyes well up with tears Mm-hmm. And we're like, what if we got all the guys whose eyes well up with tears and we get together and we pray? And so we started getting together and praying on Wednesdays. One, the last Wednesday of every month, we get pastors together and pray. And we've got some, some pastors who are in their you know, 60s and 70s and some who are church planners in their 20s. And we get together and we just and we, and we pray. And then uh, we go, what if we got churches together to fast and pray for a month for the city of Nashville? And so. Uh, and so Dave's just, Dave's great leader. I said, man, I'm in. I said, I don't know if anybody else will join us, but I'm in. And word just began to travel. And we ended up having 415 churches sign on for, uh, for 30 days of prayer uh, for the city. And we divided the city up into, uh, into 15 names on a sheet of paper. And so everybody who signed up to pray got a list and, uh, and prayed for those names for, uh, for, for the 30 days. And, uh, and it was incredible. We kicked off with uh, with a couple of prayer gatherings at the Ryman Auditorium, which the Ryman Auditorium historically is where Sam Jones, who was the evangelist in, uh, and came through town, it was built to house the revival of what God was doing then. And mm, uh, awesome. so there were, during that movement, there were 10,000 people who came to Christ and the population of the city was 50,000. And so one fifth of the town came to Jesus. And so we start imagining in that space, like, what would it look like for one fifth? If God did that, then like ratios are not a problem for God, like revival scales, you know, God's coming. Amen. Yeah. So it's like, what would it look like for, for a fifth of the city to, to come to Jesus? And, uh, and we know that it's going to come through prayer and through fasting. And uh, so we'll just, we'll keep going um, with that and uh, building prayer cultures and in our churches and in our communities. So. That's awesome. I, uh, I know we're probably getting kind of close to time, but um, I mean, this issue of prayer has just kind of been laced through the whole conversation. And um, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, you know, I don't even know that that's a discipline as much as it is just a spiritual uh, sort of opportunity we have. I don't want to say obligation at all. I know it's not an obligation, but 
I know for a lot of our students, it, prayer is something that is more, more fabricated. It's, it's more, you know, sort of carbon copy. This is what you say. So how do you shift from doing prayer to being a person of prayer? Oh, that's good. That's really, that's a really good question. Um, doing prayer to, to, to being a person of prayer. That was not a prescripted question, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's a great question. I'll I'll tell you personally, for me, what really helped is is um, is being around um, people who pray. I, you know, I think that was what happened with the disciples. They got around Jesus, and Jesus because because in the in the Old Testament, God says, "I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer." And so it's almost like a spirit of prayer, like that mm -hmm. takes it from being a performance to being intimacy with God. So it's when we get around people who are like, man, they have it. We're like, man, I want that. You know, I want that. And during my life, I'd done that with preaching. You know, I'd hear right. Louis Gilio and I was like, I want to be like that. You know, and I'd, I'd hear, I'd hear people preach and go, but then when you get around people who have that intimacy with God, you're like, I want, I want to know God like that. Yeah. I want to enjoy his presence like that. Man, I want to pray with power like that. I want the results of what they have. I want to hear God's voice like that. And it's it's that that draws us in. So when I was in college and I'd hear Tom pray and these people who are on the prayer team, like that became contagious. You know, I think maybe we we learn by we learn how to pray by praying with people who know how to pray. Mm, that's really good. So that's they go, good. man, I want to find people who know how to pray. And then I think in being in those meetings. Um, and praying with those people, I think that's that's the first. And then I would say then the the, the secret place, and and it was helpful. There's a guy named R.T. Kendall who who defines prayer as keeping company with God, and that helped me. I mean, all the ac you know acronyms, acrostics, and all the you know all yeah, the things yeah. have, like that's helped. But like when you just whittle it down, just prayer is keeping company with God. So now when I'm reading the scripture and talking with God, that's keeping company with God. Mm. That's prayer. When I'm worshiping, when I'm singing, when I'm in the, you know, that's prayer. Like it, it takes it from just being, I'm saying a prayer to a place of being and keeping company with God. That, that was helpful. Um, another thing that was helpful for me was I went on a, uh, I went on a study. I was like, man, I want to read a lot of biographies. And so like, I was like, I'm going to read, I know this is crazy, but this is, like, I'm going to read 50 biographies in one year. And so I started reading biographies of guys like, C.T. Studd and Ian mm -hmm. you know, e. Bounds and um, um, Hudson Taylor. And, you know, I'm reading all these classic biographies and I get through about 12 or 13 and they all start becoming one story. Like they all start melding together where I can't remember where this guy leaves off and this person picks up and this woman, like they're all just kind of woven together. And it's this story of a praying life. Yeah. And I was like, and that is every single, that's what, that's the thread that runs through every one of those stories is that they knew how to pray. And it was during that time that I was, uh, I was looking at a picture of my son and I felt like God, God asked me, he said, you know, do you want Durham to inherit your prayer life? And I was like, Man, I want Durham to inherit a lot of things, but I don't know about my prayer life. And that kind of sent me on this journey of really, um, really seeking to develop a prayer time. And I don't know any way other than having that time carved out to just sit in his presence. And um, I wish I knew a shortcut. 
I wish, you know, I wish there was a devotional that after you read that devotional and over time I've found books and I've found things, but I'll tell you this. I don't, I don't read a book on prayer that doesn't make me want to pray more, you know, cause I'm not looking for, for an academic knowledge of prayer. I'm looking right. for experiential, right? Yes. I, we, 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 there are things we need to know, but I'm not looking for just concepts. I, I want it to stir the want because the problem for, I think a lot of us is the wanting. It's not knowing what we need to do. It's that we, we, we need to want more. And sometimes the place to start is just saying, um, God, I want to want you. Yeah. Yeah. Would you help me want you? And, uh, and he's, he's in charge of the wanting. I mean, he is, he works even in that. So. Um, I, that's a really long answer to it. No, it's it's good. And and I got a follow up to it. I hate to keep asking questions about this, but, but in seasons where maybe your prayer life has felt dry or felt like a struggle, how have you battled through that? How have you sort of worked through that to get to this passionate place of prayer again? I'll tell you, I just had that experience. Um, I had that experience a couple, like I had like a couple months, six, eight weeks where it was just, and it's the consistency of the time and the place and keep showing up. And so I kept showing up and I'm like, God, it feels like there's a fog, right? I mean, I'm not hearing your voice like I used to. I'm reading the scriptures, but words aren't jumping off the page. You know, it's just, and, uh, and I kept, you know, the meeting on, you know, prayer meet, keep leading meetings, keep doing the things. But, and then there, um, I was back in, uh, back in Atlanta on break and there was a, uh, there was a place, it's like a house of prayer, the international house of prayer, Atlanta. And, uh, and it sits over and I, it's in our, at 12 stone, our old student center. And, uh, and it's a place, I mean, I've been a couple times, but I hadn't been, hadn't been a lot. And, uh, and I felt like God said, I want you to go there. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm on break. I don't want to see anybody I know. You know, it's just kind of like I'm on vacation. And I went there and I sat down and it was in that moment, like the fog, or it was like the noonday sun. And, and it's, it's mysterious why that, and here's what I think. I think God was saying, I want to meet with you on my terms. Hmm. Will, will you obey my little prompt for you? And I found that what had happened is I had, I had taken that, that praying life and I had put it in, okay, I, this is when I meet with you, God. I meet with you in the mornings from this time to this time, and then this is what we do. Yeah. And he was, will you come away with me, you know, with a prompt? So I think sometimes just, guys, I think even in that test of he's saying, I've got something for you, but it's going to take obedience, and it's going to take you getting outside of your rhythm, your routine, your plan. Will you Will you follow me? And uh, And then since then, there's just been – there's been a, a new awakening, right? So amazing. It's good. Awesome. Man, I think uh, we're, we're kind of running out of time here. I w- honestly, I could probably keep this conversation going for days. But uh, one of the things that we like to do with every guest on our show is ask them a question. And it can be serious or it can be funny. But uh, one of the things we would like to ask, we do ask all of our guests, is what is the greatest lesson you learned in college that was not in the classroom? Yeah. Um, so can I give a quick, uh, a quick kind of fun one and then I'll sure. get it. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause I knew this question was coming. Okay. <laughs> In college, I learned how to penny lock a door. 
you know, nice. where you push it in and put the pennies yeah, in. Yeah, put the pennies in and you can lock yeah. somebody in their room. Yeah. Yes. So that's like, that's like, I've told my kids and just blown their mind. With it. So the penny lock, if, for those who don't know, it is a, uh, man, that's a beautiful thing. It, it really, it's, uh, it's like three to four pennies and you just slide it between the door and the frame and it like creates a jam. Creates a jam. They can't turn the doorknob. One time, this is a crazy story. That one time we did, we took a guy's phone before cell phones. We took it out of his room. He was on the second floor. We penny locked him in the room. And then he kept banging on the door. Finally, we let him out. And he came out. We were in a male dorm. He came out naked. <laughs> he came out running. Like, and we're like, what do you do when a naked man is running? I'm like, I see this in the gospel. Demons come out. Man. Like, we all just run to our rooms. We're like, we got to go. So, um, so I don't know. I, I'm not going to say his name. But, uh. <laughs> yes, please don't. Please don't that, say his so. name. Um, so that, I learned how to penny lock a door. Um, it'll drive a guy, drive somebody crazy. Um, and here's, here's what I think I learned. I, I in college, um, I tended to debate. There were a lot of debates about theology. And mm. it was like, are you in this camp or are you in this camp? And I, I found myself in a crisis of faith of like, well, yes, I affirm the sovereignty of God, but at the same time, I affirm free will of man. And so it's like, that was just one of the debates where I was like, look, I live in tension there. And so I think it was in college because I, I think I thought I was going crazy in some of these debates to where I felt like I got to pick a camp. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, it's okay for me to be in tension, right? Yeah. And to live in tension. And one way of kind of think about it is like, where I got one hand over here and the other hand over here and my feet are firmly planted in the air, you know? And I think that where, where we tend to drive toward camps where God's like, no, nah, I want you to keep moving and to keep moving forward and to affirm truth where you find it. And to where something, if something's not in the word, if something is unbiblical, that's one thing, right? But it's okay to live in tension. And I think that grace, what God taught in that has enabled me to, um, wherever God is moving, to affirm it. Wherever the gospel is going forward, even if I don't agree with maybe the methodology, or even if I don't, it doesn't feel right to me. If people are coming to Jesus, if the gospel is moving forward, if the spirit is moving, then for me to be able to, to just to affirm it and to, and to bless it and, uh, and not feel like I have, to, uh, I have to fight it or it has to look a certain way for me. Mm -hmm. So I think college really taught, you know, talk about the university, this, this, this coming together and, uh, and this unified sense with a diversity of ideas that also happened with ministry as well and being able to go, you know, we can live in tension and some things are really centered on Christ. And, uh, and so that was, that was helpful for me. Cool. That's a great answer. Both of those are great answers. Great answers. Any lock, bro. Penny locks. <laughs> I've not taught my kids that yet. I'd be afraid if that happened. So, listen, we have enjoyed the conversation. It's been um, amazing. We've mm -hmm. really had a great time. I, I have so many things in my head that I need to write down that I didn't, but you shared so much wisdom in your heart. Um, and, like we always like to say here at the Collective Scope Podcast, you have a seat at the table, and we will talk to you real soon. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collectus Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders?